0: Welcome to Sound & Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the
1: host of Sound & Vision, Brian Alfred. Steve Keen is a Brooklyn-based artist who may just be the most prolific artist alive. With an estimated 300,000 pieces in public and private collections, Steve creates a large amount of paintings in one session. He's made a name in music lore, doing covers for bands like Pavement, Apples in Stereo, and The Silver Jews, just to name a few. He sells his paintings for very affordable prices in an effort to get his work out to as many people as possible. Though Keen earned his Masters of Fine Arts from Yale, he likens himself to a conceptual folk artist who carves his own way in his life of making images. He definitely has a cult following from artists to musicians alike. He's shown at Subliminal Projects in LA, the Brooklyn Public Library, the Goethe Institute in Washington, DC, the Moore College of Art in Philadelphia, and the Rice University in Houston, Texas, amongst many other venues. I went to Steve's studio in Greenpoint to get the backstory on a very enigmatic artist. Here's our conversation. Yeah, thanks for having me over. Oh, sure. So one of the things I was mentioning to you, you know, I've been aware of your work for a really long time, and um, I came across it in the musical setting, so, and there was a little bit, like, the only thing I really knew about you and your work is that, you know, you made a lot of paintings, and that you went to Yale, which is, um, I ended up going there for graduate school, and um, I've always liked this idea, and I've read a couple interviews with you about, you know, your sort of mindset about making work and fine art versus art just getting out there in the world and being accessible and um, so I'm interested in like how you where you grew up and how you started to come about painting how that started happening and then how you ended up going to school you know what took you
0: there Uh, I grew up outside of DC and I always made art and I always loved art museums and that was that. It was just kind of like, um, I always made art. I always made prints. Uh, that's actually how I went to graduate school. I was for printmaking. But as soon as I got there, I realized that if you were, like, studying something very specific, you were kind of, it just felt like you were, it was meant to be more of a craft. Like, I used to do big, big prints, big etchings and engravings, and, um, It was art to me, but Mm -hmm. like if you go to school to study something specifically like that, they make you think of it as a craft, or for me it was, and so I just kind of gave that up, and I just kind of, I think I just sort of put the reasons why I like making prints, I just kind of stuck it in my daily habits for painting. Did you start, did you find printmaking in undergraduate school? Oh yeah, I mean I did printmaking in in fifth grade, I did it all. So that's how you found it. Were you doing that before you painted or were you drawing? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's easy. It's easy making prints. Yeah. And paintings Paintings are supposed to be good. So, um It took me till my mid-30s to realize I don't have to make a good painting to make a good painting because it's just sort of like you had to decide what you wanted painting to do. And I wanted painting to be information. I wanted it to be I wanted to, like, I started doing this stuff, I painted in multiples for almost 30 years. But I didn't really know the reason why I was doing it till about 25 years ago when we first moved to New York. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was before computers and before everybody had a website. So if you wanted somebody to know about your poetry reading or your art show or your band, you'd go to Kinko's and print out a little, you know, four pages and put staples in the middle and leave it at a bookstore or a record store. And there was something fun about finding that. Yeah. And being, and communities were created just by little pamphlets, not websites and stuff. Well,
1: zine culture was tied to music in a big way. And were you, when did you first really start getting into music and the ephemera of music?
0: Well, my wife and I, when she went to UVA for school, I'd already graduated college and I was just, you know, hung out, and um, so we were, we had a radio show in Charlottesville, you know, the college station. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're just surrounded by tens of thousands of albums, and it was just fun to see the record albums were music, but it was like you were in a big magazine store, or you were in a big gallery.
1: And there's tons of live music then, you know, going on in D- the D C area, right? Were you going out to see shows when you No,
0: were? I never was like I never you know, I was always like I liked the Allman brothers. I didn't really like Fugazi at the time and stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the Allman brothers never came through. <laughs> yeah, you
0: know, I saw them once. Yeah. You know. So no, I didn't know the D C hardcore thing. That's it's like everybody in their forties romanticizes that. Right. You know, if you're in your 50s, I don't think you followed it that much. Yeah, I, li- I like Grateful Dead and Neil Young and stuff like that.
1: Yeah. yeah, I love them both. You know, it's funny, though. I, I think the reason the, the 40s people romanticize that, because I wasn't really into the DC thing, but I was definitely into indie rock in general. But I think it's because that sort of creative, um, like that kind of zine culture, that DIY culture, the feeling of being creative and doing something outside the norm, really associated with that kind of music at that time because yeah. like you were saying there was no internet that was kind of skate culture there was like punk rock you know indie rock stuff like that was just counter culture it was something that felt like was fresh or there was a little bit of energy and doing something outside of the norm you know so um i think that's what we responded to in that in that way but at the same time i mean i i taught myself how to play guitar by listening to led zeppelin box set so and my wow. dad was really into classical rock so that was a huge a huge part of my musical upbringing as well. I mean, b- when you started doing um, paint did, did musicians come to you because you've done a lot of paintings for you know record covers and for bands um, stuff did, you, did they come to you or were you interested in those bands?
0: No, they were all friends of mine, yeah. they were all friends, and um, being around people creative people like musicians. I'm like, I'm not really an artist person. I don't really know any artists, which sounds kind of bad, but cause I um, don't really know why. But I, I guess I just didn't, I just like, um, I like the performance aspect of music and musicians and all the art that I gravitated to you know, I mean, I love old art, you know, everybody loves Van Gogh and Cezanne. Mm-hmm. Still my favorite, I guess. But, um, you know, like once you get Jackson Pollock, it's like, it combines like five different ways of living together. Mm-hmm. And I just like performance of not really something being good or bad. Yeah. It was just like, what was important is your intention to do spend a certain amount of time in a certain way and you just have to accept what it looked like you know like making a song it's like you don't you know if you're on stage and the song is not going well you don't you just keep on going right and um no i I like the performance i love i love the ritual of making art everything about art besides thinking whether it's good or bad. I mean, I try to make my pictures really good. You know, I wish I wish they looked like Vermeer paintings or something like that. But they're just, um, they're a, a certain amount of time, mm-hmm. you know, spent, and that's kind of the way I judge them.
1: Well, you seem to have, like, an aversion towards the art world or gallery and kind of like, or you were really into art artists like Cezanne or Van Gogh and stuff like that, but... You know, at some point you've detached from that, and and you're saying that you like the performative aspect. But isn't there a lot of fine art work like Fluxus and and people who are doing things that were performative, but and were still in that realm of discussion?
0: Yeah, but that was. I mean, I, I respond so much to all that stuff, but I was always like a total middle of the road artist. All I wanted to do was like paint, you know, a picture of the beach or trees mm-hmm. or a castle, but I just didn't, and I was trying to figure out a way, how could you be Saul LeWitt and paint like yard sale art at the same time? Right. And that's just kind of like, it's as nothing more complicated than that. I just kind of thought, oh, you know, if you work on uh, 50 things at the same time, you end up with this kind of shimmering tapestry of paint that kind of as exciting in the sides of your eyes to look at and you don't really worry about if if it looks that good because it's already doing something to you.
1: So do you feel like that's um, kind of like an escape out of the critique of of a painting is to just do like a thousand of them and yeah, then it doesn't yeah, matter? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Because it just uh, you know, it's just my thing. I don't think everybody should work like this. But, you know, like when I Talk about Cézanne. I'm so into Cézanne right now because Cézanne is like the greatest painter since the Renaissance because he was unbelievably, he didn't know how to paint and he didn't know how to draw and he just kind of willed himself into creating a totally new language. It wasn't, you know, it takes a long time to separate, to figure out why he's different Than Gauguin or Monet, it's not about. It's about he literally didn't know how to paint, he didn't know how to make something. So it's sort of like almost he was taking a spatula and building, you know, blocks of color like you lay down bricks, that kind of have nothing to do with anything. And he kind of did. It almost seemed like he did it with his eyes closed, like he had to do it, but he didn't know whether what it was going to look like because. A lot of times it doesn't look like something, and then he kind of worked it into a structure. But it just wasn't a visual thing. It just it it was something that people still don't know how important he is. Yeah. So that's my art history. Well, for today. <laughs> well, wasn't uh isn't the
1: sort of lack of technical proficiency by a lot of contemporary artists felt as, isn't that kind of an accepted? Um, opening of the door into other ideas, being unencumbered by... Yeah, but they don't do
0: very much with it.
1: Just being gifted?
0: I went to this art show at MoMA yesterday. Boy, that was great. It was Kai um, Althoff, some Mm -hmm. German guy. It was great. It was great. It was great. It was just like you're going to, you know, some whacked out kid's bedroom (laughs) with all his little drawings. And normally, like, I've seen all that stuff for 20 years, you know, people making cryptic little things, but they went all out. That The installation... It was beautiful, and the paintings are beautiful. The paintings are all, like, really, they all look like they were done in 1895. They're all, like, some whacked-out, symbolist kind of imagery. The colors are beautiful. It's beautiful. I was super surprised. Yeah. Super surprised.
1: Well, do you, uh, what's funny about your work is when I see one of them, because I never really see, you know, 100 of them at the same time, I only ever see one floating around with like I go over to a friend's house and I see one of your paintings and I always I always think that they are beautiful and they're really I love the way that you do this additive color like the way the brush strokes and that's part of I think it's probably embedded in your process of moving down and making that same brush stroke across It's all meant those to be
0: it's meant to be um, like printmaking. a structured language like there's very I I try to I don't try to change. I mean, my paintings have changed over the past twenty-five years, but I don't try to change. I try to keep it systematized so I can uh, just kind of, you know, it's like, like you know, Japanese or Chinese paintings of thousands of years ago. They had this very specific structure for mm-hmm. them.
1: But isn't the, I guess what I'm interested in, isn't the um, the idea that you're using of like. Okay, well, the paintings aren't really... It's not them about being, about being good, necessarily. I'm just making a lot of them uh, so they can get out there. But isn't that a super hyper-conceptual performative tool that is I'm a, a conceptual. Giant part?
0: I'm a conceptual folk artist. Somebody said that to me one time, and I thought, wow, that is the greatest.
1: But wait, but, but really, if you go out today, if you go out to Chelsea, the Lower East Side, and look at you know, 50 painting shows, which you could do... How many of those shows would you say are artists that aren't folk artists, quote unquote? Because are they really, is how, mu- how many, what percentage of those painters are worried about skill and like Vermeer or, you know, capturing light in a renaissance way or whatever? Aren't your pain see, what I'm struck by is you have the, in reading about you and your work, you seem to have this very, um, Rigid philosophy that like, okay, the paintings aren't about the quality of the paintings. It's just about the fact that I make a ton of them and get them out there. But I think if you went around and looked at those shows, you would see paintings that are being made in a very similar way to the way that you're making a painting visually. You know what I mean? That they're not necessarily about like flaunting skill necessarily, but it's about this Openness
0: and openness of, yeah, I mean... I just haven't gone around to check. I mean, we go to museums constantly because we got two kids and it's sort of like after a while, it's like if it doesn't have like a a place to eat lunch, it's like kind of hard to look at art sometimes. So it's just like way easier going to museums and you kind of see good stuff. Yeah. You know, I've been been going to galleries, you know, every Saturdays for 30 years and it's sort of like after a while you kind of, it's not like you get tired of looking at the, you know, I'm, I'm this year I'm going to be 60 years old. I've been doing this a long time. And so mm-hmm. it's just you kind of get tired of looking at the next 27-year-old.
1: Yeah. <laughs> but the irony for me <laughs> is that when I look around now, there's a lot of painting that I feel like resonates with the way that your paintings look. You know what I mean? There's this kind of approach to it that has a feeling that reminds me of your work. And are you in, at um, all interested in that? Or you
0: Yeah, yeah you know? like... Um, you know, I see Dana Schultz's pictures and, um, you know, things like that. I used to love Elizabeth Payton, yeah. Payton's paintings. Mm-hmm. I don't know what happened to her. But um, I really, like Peter Doig, like I try not to like that guy, but when you see one in real life, they're really beautiful. Yeah. Wait, <laughs> why do you try not to like him? Oh, because it just the, the whole idea that, I don't know, some... some it's not that I'm about the money... But it does freak me out that somebody comes out of nowhere and then the pictures are like, you know, $12 million or something like that for a picture of an Indian in a canoe. Right. You know, it's like, well, really? You know, it really didn't change the world. It's just like a fantastic thing for, you know, collector, investor to purchase. You know, it's very attractive and it looks great for six years, you know, in the entrance hall and then you sell it you know, like some, you
1: know. But I think one <laughs> of the gifts of being an artist is that we can actually go in those galleries and we can ignore that stuff because we know what it's like to sit there and make a painting. So we can go in there and realize that that artist has nothing to do with the $12 million secondary market resale of that painting. We could just see it as an image oh, and like it or not like it. You know? I wish
0: I could. I, I always remember, I can't separate art from reality. I always remember like two weeks after 9-11, Went to Marion Goodman, saw this Gerhard Richter show, and I was just like, you know, I love Gerhard Richter, but and this gray picture was just like, it looked like he had taken his hands and made a big W in it in gray paint, and I was just like, yeah. wow, it just looks like the ash that's covering everybody, and I'm really not going to be able to look at everything in the same romantic eyes again. Mm-hmm. So I can't I can't separate, I cannot separate paintings from what paintings Their they are success? What they, No, what they do. I think... There's certain things that have purposes. Like I just don't think a Peter Doig is, you know, is a Picasso picture.
1: Like, right. You know. They're two different things. Yeah, but well, but you love Picasso and love. Van Gogh and Cezanne, and they have the same secondary market <laughs> research. And yeah, and, uh, um, you know, um, we're talking about
0: people. People talk about five years from now.
1: Yeah. Oh, <laughs> so it's just it's just a matter. It's not the value placed on the work. It's that the those more contemporary artists don't deserve that yet.
0: And they don't deserve it, yeah.
1: Yeah. So you you hold that against their paintings, or you hold, or that is part of the
0: equation of looking at that I find them personally responsible for the decadence of our civilization.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So, well, what about um, you know? I think it was in well, I don't know where it was, but the first time I bought one of your paintings, I believe was in the back of a U-Haul truck at a gig at an outdoor concert somewhere. I forget where it was. Is that is that a possibility? That.
0: So yeah, people buy my stuff and then they sell it to other people.
1: Oh, so they, like people resell. You're on the secondary market. And the music. Oh, you can go
0: on eBay and see my stuff, and like some people try to sell. You know, stuff for hundreds of dollars.
1: Yeah. So how do you get your work out there? My website. Just, just through the website.
0: Yeah, people that and I put stuff up on eBay.
1: So as an artist, who you know, you're obviously. This is your life. I mean, you're living and breathing it, and you're making all this work, and it's something that you love to do, assumedly. Um, part of, you know, well, not for everyone, but for a lot of people, part of, a big part of the equation of making work is showing it and talking about it to other people. And obviously, you have, you know, your feelings about art galleries or the fine art world with like the, Im- the imposed value that is placed on pictures. But do you, is that the way you prefer for people to experience your work, is ba- basically...
0: No, I just, I like, I like it many different ways. I'm actually going to have a real art show in, in June. It's pretty crazy. I'm going to be, it's just a tiny little space, but I'm going to be in this like little closet room at um, Chelsea Marlborough, and I'm going to paint live there for a month. Uh-huh. So that should be fun. But I've never, I've never like, shown my work, you know, downtown, so it should be fun.
1: Yeah, are you excited about
0: it? You know, I do this every day, so, I mean... But that's (laughs) fine. But it's part of it. It's part of, like, what you do. No, but it's not... It's like a
1: musician sitting in his room, writing songs every single day, and like, I don't really play gigs. Like, you can buy my CDs off my website, but I don't want (laughs) to... You I know, hate the music. I know industry. it sounds like a cop out. I don't want to go out there into that world.
0: <laughs> I'm too like I'm really dead. I don't tour. Yeah. <laughs> like I don't want to. Perform no, I know what I'm, you're saying, but at the same time, I've actually made a living by not worrying about because I get I've had I've had shows like I've shown in museums and, and stuff like that years ago, and I would get crushed when people would write crappy stuff because it just seemed like. You know, because my work is confrontational. You know, if I do a performance and people see me painting 100 pictures a day, it's perceived as not serious. Mm-hmm. And I just hate when people write stuff about me.
1: <laughs> but I think isn't that funny? Because uh, if you take someone like Alan McCollum, who does yeah, multiples, yeah, yeah. many, many multiples, and that's seen in a totally different light. You but it's a I mean. static
0: thing. And it's also meant to, it's quiet measurement, the differences between the thing. It's kind of the opposite. It is, yeah, did.
1: definitely. But in a way, it's similar in the, the sort of, uh, well, actually, you know, I, I thought about it a lot, too, because I'm from Pittsburgh. I grew up there. I'm a huge, Warhol had a big impact on me, kind of unconsciously, just growing up around it all the time. And I thought, I mean, how different is your practice, ideally, from what Warhol was trying to do?
0: Well, sure. I mean, that doesn't make me seem very smart then. I mean...
1: Warhol's a genius.
0: Oh, sure, but... but and you've he been... created He created something. He's a genius because he made something in, that seems very vaporous, incredibly accessible, so we're all able to take the clear idea that he created and do another thing with it. And I, like, hopefully mine's a little bit more like... You know, I kind of think of mine sort of maybe like a... Pretend German angst kind of art.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> the the aesthetic of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm talking more so about like if you ever hear Warhol talk about his work.
0: Yeah, he doesn't talk about it.
1: Yeah, he's just he kind of because everybody like
0: that's that's important not to talk too much because it takes away the the mystery of things. The mystique. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's true. And in this uh, especially
0: sort of like if you tell people I got this best. I fantastic idea i'm going to do this and this and this and if you talk about it before you do it it's like you did it already so it's just like it weakens any kind of energy you have
1: yeah well i'm fascinated by you because you make you make all this work all the time and you're so rigorously painting like it's a very physical it's almost like exercise i imagine i mean it's a physical activity but yet you think about how your work sort of functions in relation to, like, the fine art world or, you know, getting out there in all these different ways. So you're really thinking a lot, too, about how the work, like, controlling how the work gets out there and how it's experienced and what that says about the work.
0: What, what Which, I like, mean- is,
1: it's a conceptual folk artist in a way because you're really hyper-conceptually driven in the way that you're producing your work.
0: I, for me, I think of them as... American collectibles. Like, you can go to a yard sale 400 miles from here, and somebody might be selling one. Um, They're on eBay, things that I've done 20 years ago, and I see them up here. It's like I'm fascinated with, um, I've always liked the underdog of artists. Do you know who Elchimius is? Yeah, yeah, definitely. They're cheap. Yeah. kind of. I mean, you can buy one... Compared to a Peter Doig. Yeah, you can buy one for $6,000, and they were, you know... They were just part of, like... They were like the underbelly of American avant-garde. Like, Louise Nevelson collected them. Like, every artist, and now, like, um, Michael Warner collects them. You know, people yeah. just collect them. They're on the radar of, like, collecting Yeah, things. of underground stuff. I mean, they're, they're, they're just crazy.
1: Yeah, oh, those intense. are amazing.
0: So I, I think about that. I think about they're continually on the outside, and everybody knows who they are at the same time. And I, I think I've always, I think I've always thought about that stuff because I knew who he was forty years ago. Yeah. Especially yeah, it's, growing up at DC, and they were at the Hirshhorn Museum. They used to really care about him.
1: So you, and you saw them in person. Yeah. 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 Well, it's funny because I, you know, I'm an artist. I've been making art for a long time. And I I, th- I find, like, I feel sometimes I force myself for five or ten minutes to maybe think about what happens to my work when it leaves my studio. And th- that's probably an important thing. But I end up just getting too interested in what I'm going to be doing next and kind of don't pay attention to it. So I'm interested in this idea of a real kind of... Um, Interest in how the work is going to the longevity, or how it's going to be sold in different places, and the price tag on that, and yeah, how I it love dis- that part. I love and that. how it disseminates, <laughs> you know. Which is really it's funny because that is kind of like it's it's totally different than the gallery's st- structure, but it's still you know a really um, an interesting part of how making art. Like, what happens to it once you're done with it, you know?
0: Yeah, you know know the the mad potter of Biloxi? Mm -hmm. You know, I just love that stuff. I love it. The fact that it was junk 80 years ago, and he destroyed half of his stuff. And now they're, you know, they're $50,000 little squeezed pots. Right. They're so beautiful.
1: Yeah. So whenever you're, you know, whether it's 10 years from now, 20 years from now, or... You know, fifty years after you're gone, and this giant retrospective show of yours hits a major museum, and everyone's celebrating and dancing and saying, like, this is really important stuff, really important artist. Will you be posthumously annoyed at that, or will you be happy that people are and what if the price tag did go up on your work? Do you know
0: what I mean? Oh yeah yeah. Um, what would happen no it's it's great. Um, you know, I just sort of think it. Be like a retrospective of a restaurant, you know. I just, <laughs> you know, a restaurants a performance kind of. It's a, you know, people come for the performance of being served and
1: the visual, of the food hitting the table, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah so and that,
0: I think that's closer to music than than music is to art, actually.
1: Yeah. Well, I, have a, I, have I think yeah, I think, yeah, I think
0: music is way closer to restaurants than it is to painting. Yeah,
1: I've, you know, often said that, you know, having experience playing out and playing live shows is that, you know, hanging a painting show or making an art show is such a, a completely different experience than like standing up in front of people, making sounds that hit them immediately, they resonate. And those people have that, that instant sort of connection with your creative output. And then it's over at the end Yeah, of it, you yeah. Know? Then and it's, it's such like, a primal... Then you get a fresh start. Yeah, and it's a very direct, kind of unfiltered, in a way, experience, you know? I mean, so it seems like you're kind of doing that in a way in the studio of just this performative element. And even, like, I know you've done that out in the public in different areas where you set up and you'll make paintings, you know, over a given time frame, a certain amount of paintings. So do you feel you feed off that live kind of painting environment? Because most of the time you're in here and no one's yeah. watching you so is that
0: I think like an so interesting I think so I mean to... I'm excited about doing a thing in town for a month because I, I do like one night things for like you know sort of like a clown at a birthday party <laughs> kind of thing and it's very tough because you put as much um, worry and struggle into doing something for one night as it is for a month Yeah. and like a month is such a luxury because you could be having the first few days could be terrible and you know oh I'll just make it better but you only have that you know two and a half hours if you like I did an event at um for um an eyeglass company mm-hmm. <laughs> last Wednesday and I was like on a roof at the Jane hotel and it was like thirty one degrees and the wind was blowing and mm-hmm. I'm painting outside and <laughs> like and there were no lights out there, uh, and everybody's drunk
1: paint's frozen
0: <laughs> actually it was great it was windy enough because <clears throat> I paint with house paint and yeah. and like Utrecht or whatever they call it, Blix now or something, and it actually it it that was on my side. It was truly I was literally in pitch black. It was really absurd with a few like Christmas lights on the side. Okay? Right. But it, I didn't make a fool of myself. It was the craziest thing ever. But I didn't. You know, they actually thought I did a cool job. I was like, oh. Cool.
1: How in the world did you make that?
0: <laughs> yeah, I did fifty-four that pictures in two and a half hours. <laughs> you know, sixteen by sixteen. I mean, they weren't that great looking, but.
1: Well, when you do a, an event like that, or even in the stu- well, in the studio is more composed, you have more time. Yeah,
0: right? I mean, I can, you know, and it's also different, like, life is different than it was when I first started doing this. Whether or not I have to, you know, stop what I'm doing and pick up the kids, or like, eh, let me go over and check the email. You know, yeah. it's like, funny, years ago, it was easy to get in a trance Yes, I totally for 12 agree. hours. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah, and when I teach, it's like, I, with the students, I feel... It's so different than when oh, I was in my picking studio. Oh, they're their phones. Oh, oh they've yeah. got like all this stuff no, no, all the time. And no, no. when we went to the studio, there was nothing, <laughs> yeah. you know. You just yeah. went and yeah. you had a coffee or whatever and yeah. you had your work and yeah. you could get lost. And, you know, you go to the library and get out like 50 books and that was kind of like your internet for the day. Sure. Oh, but, yeah, I can't the imagine the distractions, you know, dealing with now. It's a totally different can of worms but when you do an event like that do you have the image that you're going to paint ahead of time oh yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. so it's all kind of pre do you do one first so you know what you're doing no
0: I mean I just I just I have a certain relationship when I see an image I know how to respond to it it's like coded in strokes you know yeah vertical and horizontal big strokes you know three different stages
1: yeah so how do you did you just come to that kind of way of working was that kind of the way you were doing prints back in the day, or is it, was it something that you've kind of gotten good at over the last 25 years of making paintings that way, or was it intuitive? Because um, it's a very specific way that you... It's
0: a specific paint. way. It's, it's a very much... I've tried to turn my art into a craft. You know, I, I, In the beginning, I started complaining about how printmaking, they wanted it to be more of a craft than, than an art, and mm-hmm. now that I'm trying to make my... My paintings are... a. A craft. I have a. I make American collectibles. That's the way I like to think about it. And um, but not, I've always liked American art, like um, you know, just not not necessarily folk art, but but people that used to travel around 150 years ago to paint portraits of kids and things like that, and mm-hmm. those very simplistic, incredibly skilled quickly painted pictures are really beautiful they're really beautiful and I like you know I'm kind of a I'm not a street artist you know I'm not a I'm not a graffiti artist I'm not a street artist Um, I I kind of in the back of my mind try to think of myself like I'm you know a New York artist a hundred years ago like Marin or Marsden Hartley or something like that Mm -hmm. like that kind of kind of Ashcan, you know, modernist Ashcan school kind of stuff. I really like the idea that those guys try to, I mean, what was it like to make modern art before they were like coffee table art books and, you know.
1: Yeah, I mean, well. And you
0: didn't, you know, you didn't see the origins of modern art in Europe. You didn't, you never went to Europe. Right. You just had to like, well, I'm going to be a modern artist now.
1: (laughs) I wonder if they were as if we were hyper-conscious of that. And, you know, they thought, okay, we're doing something avant-garde. We're going to stretch. They must have.
0: They must have. Yeah. I mean, it was a point to be, you know, I mean, they did see. There were, you know, modern pictures from the last half of the 19th century coming over, but not that many.
1: And it was a small scene, so you probably knew everyone pretty quickly. Yeah, it was there. Yeah, you knew crowd. what people were up to. Yeah, you, know, it's you just like the indie rock, rock
0: world when you're just kind of... You, you know the twenty people involved.
1: Yeah, the three record labels, and yeah, you kind cool. of tour with the same bands and do that. Yeah. So, well, th- the thing that I think is really interesting is, for all the the multiples and all the sort of performative aspect, I think when I look at your painting, I still see this incredible, like, original color, light, and like technique to the way that you're painting, and it doesn't matter if it's a record cover. Or if it's, you know, a scene from a church or if it's a nature scene, whatever it is, there's this vibrancy in something. It's just not like anything else. And I mean, that's kind of undeniable, whether no matter how you frame it or however many you make, or if you say that you're not trying to make a good painting, quote unquote.
0: No, I am. They're still good paintings.
1: Yeah. And they're still really inventive because you'll take an image that's just a photograph. Like, let's say it's a Beatles album cover. But the way that you, what happens between that image and the way you you paint it there's like a certain magic and something really electric happens in that
0: well you have to you have to just kind of you systematize it you kind of dumb it down I don't want my pictures to be caricatures I really don't try to make them look goofy but there's a you know there's a lightheartedness if I'm copying an album cover that everybody knows you know it's just a schematic quick systemization right
1: yeah but I, I mean if I went to see a show of yours and you had you know 100 paintings of the same thing on each of the 10 walls, or you had 10 large paintings that are that same image, I don't know that I would really think of the images that much differently. I mean, yes, I would be like, oh, wow, there's a lot of these. So that's like a conscious effort to mm-hmm. make the same image over and over again, kind of like a print. It's likened to a, like a print of an image that's done like 100 times and you hang 100 prints. Mm-hmm. At the same time, it's that same image in a way, you know, and it has that same impact.
0: But my paintings are all different, no matter how I like, they're all slightly different just yeah. because of the physicalness of my hand.
1: Yeah, so they cannot, they're not the yeah. same over and over. So technically, it, so you think of them as one piece, right? When you do like, let's say you do 100 paintings of a similar image. Yeah,
0: it just feels like a slice of time. Yeah. And like a, just a gigantic tapestry in front of me. Right, same thing.
1: right. Okay. So, well, how does it feel? Because, you know, I have a lot of friends who are artists. I actually hang out with a lot of artists.
0: <laughs> I sound so snobby, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I mean, I hang out with a bunch of people. I hang out with a lot of artists, and
1: I, I find great, you know, and part of doing this podcast is that I like to talk to people. You know, I find great mm-hmm. kind of like I'm comfort. too
0: insecure to have artists friends.
1: <laughs> well, it, you would be surprised, I think. There's a lot of young artists who really are supportive and love talking to each other about their work, and they kind of like build each other up. And That's cool. But I do have a lot of friends who are artists and musicians, obviously the musicians, but I have a lot of friends who are artists who really... Uh, love your work, admire what you've done for a really long time, and are really into what you do. So I is that something that, you know, you feel good about? Or are you like, yeah, damn kids, yeah. these damn kids. De- <laughs> no, <laughs> do.
0: No, they- no, I mean, I really, it's weird, because I'm not really, I don't really know what new music is. Or, like, just, you know, I really haven't gone and seen that much art. I mean, we constantly go to museums, we constantly going to MoMA out of the Met or something like that. Mm -hmm. But I don't get to see like the new art like I did. I mean, you know, 10 years ago.
1: Yeah. Well, that could be a full-time job to be honest. Going around trying to see all the different... (laughs) I mean, there's so many galleries and there's so much stuff. You can just spend all your time going and looking at stuff, you know.
0: But, um, no, i I've been doing this a long time and when I started doing this everybody... Not everybody, but the people that I thought were against me. Um, they would be sort of like... <laughs> Yale ha- professors? Is that here you No, about? I didn't work like this. I just disappeared at <laughs> school. I was a big failure at school. I hated school. Yeah. Just didn't, didn't work out. I mean, I was already married at the time, so it was kind of like... Like, the idea of going to art school is that you're supposed to party and hang out and meet a lot of people and create a lot of new experiences, and I didn't. I just, yeah. like... And half the time I worked in a restaurant. I worked at the old Heidelberg. I don't think that was there when we went
1: there. No, I don't, I don't remember it.
0: That was uh, It was in the Hotel Duncan. I think that might be a oh, dorm yeah.
1: now. No, no, the Hotel Duncan's still there. Yeah,
0: but is it a dorm or a hotel?
1: Well, back when I... The last time I was there was probably in the early 2000s and it was still a hotel, and that's but the, maybe it's a dorm now. Yeah, room.
0: and that's the hotel. Like the year before, the David Hinckley's... Or John... The, who... The, the one who tried to kill Reagan when he was oh, stalking yeah, Jody yeah, Foster. I've heard the story, yeah. He stayed there. Yeah. For a week or so while he was scoping out the campus. It's got a vibe <laughs>
1: that place. I really liked staying at the Duncan. Oh, oh yeah. A lot cool. of the <laughs> teachers who lived in New York would come up and stay at that place, and it's funny. <laughs> it's, uh, it's such a old. It has some charged history. It feels like Hitchcockian. You yeah, know? yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was a
1: cool place. So wait, that that's where you you worked? There was or? a restaurant
0: in the basement <clears throat> called the Old Heidelberg, and uh-huh. that was like the oldest continual, continuous restaurant in New Haven. It was like 150 years old. But then it like, I think it it died like in the late 80s. Yeah.
1: I, mean, I think I might know that. <laughs> yeah. It, was it like white tablecloth, kind of like old-timey? Yeah. Feeling? I mean, it was
0: like, yeah, it was just like some whacked out. It was supposed to be a German restaurant, but it was just kind of like a, it felt yeah. like a mafia Italian place. <laughs>
1: Right. So you basically worked and holed up where you lived. And did you work in the studios a lot, or were you trying to avoid it?
0: I painted a lot outside.
1: Yeah. Plein air.
0: And yeah, yeah. And, and, like, I just didn't really, my experience, I mean, I think I got a good experience out of going to school because, in, in a certain weird way, because it's sort of like, it shook me up, and it made me hate it. So at least I had a strong reaction instead of just kind of, like I never wanted to. I I mean, it'd be nice to teach art, but I'm I was always in my own little world, you know. So it's yeah. like I did, couldn't even. I always worked in restaurants, so I couldn't conceive of any life besides just kind of like doing my art and then washing dishes at night. So I didn't right. really aspire for anything else. So I kind of was like, but my work was so boring then, and and then. Then it's sort of like, ooh, I don't really have to be interesting. I just have to find, like, push it in one direction, but I don't have to change anything because I don't I'm not an abstract artist. I'm not a thinker. Mm -hmm. I don't want to worry about if it's good or bad. I think not worrying about good or bad. It's also, you know, it's like, I mean, people hate all, you know, hate this kind of stuff, but like Joan stuff like Joan Schnabel was so incredibly fun and important because the paintings were so bad and they just had nothing and they were everybody was having so much fun you'd get these (laughs) magazines and everybody's so happy and having fun and 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 he would like proclaim over and over again how we don't judge things by the old rules there's no more rules and this is great man you can just like do your thing yeah Yeah. do your thing and not worry about it
1: yeah yeah (laughs) It's so funny to me, though, that you say that you're not a thinker, because obviously you think so much about your work and and what work does, and you know, and but I think or is it just that maybe your work doesn't look like it's conceptual, like the work itself, like the painting that you do, the actual physical painting doesn't look like a thinking conceptual piece of
0: art. You know what I mean? Well, I think you know, it's just because it's easy for me to do, so I I, I I've turned it into a craft. So I don't really push it in any direction besides what it is now. I mean, I do do other stuff. I have this CNC and I do a lot of things which would be considered prints. I I make drawings Mm -hmm. in Rhino and AutoCAD and uh, that cuts them. You know, like that cart right there. It's drawings like that. And that's, that's fun for me because I used to just trace. I've had this for like six years, seven years, I've been doing this and i was basically just tracing images and then making them big through that mm-hmm. and then i figured out how to do 3d modeling and so i'm actually making you know making models of stuff and then you flatten them and then it creates a an image out of vectors that you can then cut yeah and so it's it's much more print painting like to me because i don't really know what i'm going to get because uh, you know what you're going to get if you trace it but you don't really know what you're going to get with flattening because it's um it's unpredictable and it's it's, it's just kind of a, like it puts in a little bit like it's always good to have something that you're in not control of yeah
1: a random element to your process yes yeah, yeah. yeah
0: that's always going to be like ooh I didn't know that so I'll yeah. learn next time yeah you know if you're in too much control it kind of dies
1: yeah now do you ever ever have something happen in that process and you're like oh I'm you try to bring that to the images in the painting a little bit? No, or?
0: no. The paintings are too self-contained. It's, it's such a closed... It's a closed work system that I have. I don't... Yeah. I mean, I started doing these engravings where I was going to be like, ooh, I'm going to do a new kind of art and it's going to be different from my paintings and I'm going to do it a certain way that's different from my paintings. Because after doing this forever, I started building up like all this energy of... like there's, I know so much. Maybe it's just from having kids. There's, everything's different. I have so many ideas that I cannot process through my art. Yeah. So it's like this is like a separate hobby. And now, as the years goes on, I'm, I don't really want to show any of that stuff. I have it in piles, and it's hard to get out. I do have stuff like on Instagram. You can see what it looks like. Oh, I've seen it. Yeah. But um, I know what you're
1: talking about. They're the sort of like the linear. Yeah, they're
0: linear. And now, yeah. like as the weeks go on, I'm starting to put color on it, and I don't want them to be paintings. So I have to try to I have to figure out a, a reason why. I mean, I've done every you know, I'm just, I'm starting to add color to them. So they're turning into paintings, which was not the intention, but it's starting to feel good because I'm starting not to care whether they're good or bad now. And yeah. so I was like, Ooh, if I don't care if I just want to do them without caring what it looks like, it might end up working out for me. Yeah. <laughs>
1: So that gives you, like, an exciting energy. Yeah, yeah, that's energy, yeah. Right? yeah,
0: yeah. It's, it's, it's exciting that, oh, I don't have to worry. Because this was going to be, okay, I'll worry what this looks like. And yeah. it's like, ooh. Yeah. It's, it's
1: funny because I always feel like in the studio, those little things that you're doing on the side that you're just messing around with and you're Are not thinking brilliant. about it, that, like, ten years down the line, or something comes out of that usually. Like, that's the secret to what the future could hold. Yeah, or, I mean, Like, I, pushing your work or... I
0: have, I, knew this guy and kind of a serious abstract painter and they were just kind of like serious pictures but then he would make like paper mache like gifts and stuff to give to his girlfriend and, and that was so brilliant and amazing like yeah. paper mache diamond ring or bracelet big stuff and that was so that should have been his artwork you know yeah. because he was having fun with it not being a serious artist
1: yeah yeah that's that's the sweet spot if you can somehow merge the two things yeah. you know enjoy what you do Push it, love it, and then, you know, make it your own and have fun with it. I am I think, you know, I have fun doing what I'm doing, and I don't...
0: That's like, if it know, gives you energy, then you know you're in the right place. Well, I also doing.
1: believe that you can see when an artist has drained the energy out of what they're doing. Like, I think it becomes apparent when they're not into what they're doing anymore, and they're just beating a dead horse or just, you know, making the same thing over and over again because it's either selling or they feel like... This is what I'm supposed to be doing, but I you, I feel like you can always see when someone's really excited and enjoying the process.
0: I guess. And I guess. I don't know. Is that
1: too idealist?
0: I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> because with what I do, there are many times where I just think this is crazy. I'm doing the same thing over and over again, but it then and then I it's sort of like, but it doesn't matter. I'm, and and then it's liberating somehow because I do. I feel I have, I, I do have a lot of people that, the, the people that know my work know my work and they, and the people that want it, want it. And they want it to be what it's always been. Right. And for me, that's, that's fun because I do, I like it that I feel like I've created a bakery. Like you, you if you're a baker or a restaurant, you don't, you know, and it's a steakhouse, you don't start selling Thai food or something. You want to really do what you do. Yeah. To, for your audience, and then you get rewarded in a few different ways, I guess.
1: Yeah. Well, it's funny because in the process, I think, you know, someone like Chuck Close, who's created a sort of rhythmic formula for his paintings, I would think, is not too different than the sort of process and formula that you've come. I mean, that's a very conceptual endeavor in and of its own. Oh, Yeah. So, you you know. Know, yeah I, yeah, like, you know, conceptual artists who create formulas to create work, basically. I
0: remember he came to my studio and gave a crit for, you know, five minutes at Yale. That's before he was in a wheelchair. Yeah. Gosh. No, and then and that article in the New York Times, like six months ago, ooh, Chuck Close is changing. What makes an artist change his work at the end of his life? It's like, ooh, I'm, I'm sorry. Dead, but the, yeah. the article was kind of about him losing his mind, you know. It's kind of like... It's like, I still like the new, the new pictures are fine. It's, it's nothing to do with them being bad, but they were like, what would make an artist throw away everything and wear clown clothes? It's like, yeah. well, the guy kind of freaked out. You know, it's like, you'd freak out too if you're tied for 28 years in a wheelchair. You know? Yeah.
1: Making the same work over, well, not the same, you know. No, I, mean. I
0: think that's liberating to do the same thing over and over again, you know.
1: Well, it takes a certain artist, you know. Yeah,
0: it, for cer- for certain people, it's liberating because it's, for him, you know, he's, over the years, he'd come up with so many different strategies about putting the wrong color first and then yeah. putting the right color Fixing and it. then erasing the right color and putting this. And so he made tiny, separate little games for himself continually. It's not about, you know, and I feel like I do that too with my pictures. Sometimes yeah. I run into trouble if I get too kooky and sometimes, you know, sometimes my pictures are really beautiful looking to me. And sometimes mm-hmm. it's like, ooh, this is like way overworked. I was trying to prove a point here. And
1: hey, we all have that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The ones that you do and I you're like, so, yeah. maybe I'll take this off the stretcher. Yeah. <laughs> and roll it up or paint it. But I over
0: basically it. don't ever throw away any of my stuff. I mean, I've always like, you know, because I basically give it away. So I was like, okay, this picture's bad, so I'll just stick it in that, that batch that I'm, you know, a website or... They're
1: the day-old bagels of your bakery. Yes, exactly.
0: Yeah. They are. Hey, they people
1: are. appreciate those day-olds, you know? Cut it in half and toast <laughs> it. <laughs> I used to live on those in my first year of college. Yeah. yeah. Well, I hope uh, it's... I don't know if it's worth anything, but it's been great to sort of like, I don't know, transmit that idea that there are a lot of young artists I know, you know, who are really love what you do and have been kind of inspired by what you've made over the the last x or y amount of years you know and that you know and it's it's there's this really interesting relationship to music too that people have been interested in and associate your images with that music to an extent too and and that your work has been really valuable and you've managed to do that without a kind of you know that traditional kind of bs gallery model of you know, I'm not against any
0: of that stuff. I've just found that sometimes um that I I've never been never been against it. I always wanted it to be the right situation. I mean, I've had really kind of amazing experiences where you know, I've had shows that were thrilling to me. But those, you know, I've been doing this for 25 years and you, you might have five years where you do nothing and so if you're going to be an artist you know you, I mean you don't show your work but I've had this website and yeah. I've continual you know communication with the outside world because of it you know right. people buying things and yeah
1: well, and that's a very young model of getting your work I know. out there like, online. See, I think that's really to interesting. The, I think the know. stuffy old, you know, send it through the gallery method.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm not I'm so not against galleries because they support certain situations that you know, they they can help you financially put on a show that the installation you know, can cost money. I mean for me, like I'm gonna the thing that I'm going to do in June, I'm going to build a stage. I, it's a tiny room. It's like, you know 12 by 15, but it's going to be a little slot where people can come in and look, yeah. but That's hopefully not too much room. And then <laughs> like, I'll be like two feet above. And then I'll probably have about I'll probably have about 24 feet. Mm, maybe 20 feet of wall space to paint on mm-hmm. in my, my platform. And it's just sort of like, you know, people can come and watch the paint dry, you know? Kind yeah. Of thing. It's just kind of what it's about.
1: And then, again, one last question I'd like to ask. Why do you use a fence around where you're painting?
0: <laughs> um, it has
1: kind of like a UFC deathmatch kind of vibe to it. Well,
0: it is, it's...
1: Like, that's the battle arena.
0: <laughs> I mean, I love that. I, 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 that's all in the back of my mind, because it is, you know, me against them, the world, and me. Like, when you look at it now, it's like, ooh, these dudes in a cage and when I'm in the cage, it's like, oh, thank God, like the world's out there. Yeah, like,
1: yeah. You're in your That's like your studio in a studio in a way. Right?
0: Yeah. I mean, your place where you can close I, the door
1: and I That's and, where. I and,
0: but I'm and, and at the same time, like I've had that there for 12 years. And basically, uh, I was so in like 2001, there was a Frank Gehry show at the Guggenheim and that was just so beautiful. Yeah. So beautiful, and I was just so into, I mean, it really has nothing to do with my work, but I was just like, but if I had to live anywhere in around something, it, what turned me on was like the tons of plywood and the and stuff like that, so I was like, I'm always around this plywood, so oh let's get the, get some chain link going, we'll pretend mm-hmm. we're in L.A. here. <laughs> yeah,
1: and that's pretty like, great.
0: I've All had right. that for 14 years, it's crazy. Yeah, that's amazing. Not for, I'm sorry, 12, 12. Years, 12 years.
1: Still, that's so a good... It's yeah, a good amount good of time amount. yeah well thanks for inviting me in here today oh sure it's thank been you. great talking and uh yeah and people can see your work or can buy your work on your website right which yeah. is is it stevekeen.com yeah they can find something me. like that yeah, just google, google you yeah. <laughs> all right thanks a lot some work <laughs> yeah right. thank you